You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas on KFUO. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. We are talking about hymnody and we are continuing our series of Christmas hymns. I'm pretty excited about the one that we get to talk about today. It is quite possibly at the top of my list of favorite Christmas hymns. Don't ask me that in a year. It might be different. But today we get to talk about Lutheran Service Book 362 of Sing of Christ. And joining us to talk about that is Christina Roberts Cantor at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thanks for joining us today, Christina. Thank you for having me. All right, so we're going to dig into uh, a, a more um, a more modern hymn a re- written recently. Uh, what should we know about LSB three sixty two O Sing of Christ? Um, well, it is a recent hymn written in nineteen ninety six by Pastor Stephen Starkey. Um, pastor Starkey is a is a pastor here in Michigan, or actually, he is retiring or recently retired. Um, this just within this last month. Mm -hmm. Um, but he has written so many hymns for the Lutheran service book, and this is his Christmas hymn. And it's also the title of this hymn is also the title of his first collection of hymns that CPH published, O Sing of Christ. And I probably could spend our entire time just talking about these first four words. They're so fantastic, (laughs) but I will spare us that. But um, that O Sing of Christ is what we as Christians are constantly doing in our lives. And when he uses those first four words, he is echoing the words of the psalmist, especially Psalms 96 and Psalm 98. Um, and as my teenagers like to say, it's almost meta, right? How do we, how do we tell people to sing? We <laughs> sing to them to sing, oh, sing, oh, Christ. And, um, and so he, like the psalmist, is encouraging us to sing. And this is the same thing that Luther did when he wrote Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, that we start out with this, this admonition to ever sing, sing of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And then um, Pastor Starkey takes four stanzas to um, tell of Christmas in sort of a different way than many of our Christmas carols do, do unfold Christmas. Many of them unfold, you know, the manger and the angels and things like that. Um, and... Pastor Starkey uses the Christmas story from um, the first chapter of John as his basis. And so we get this very um, theologically and scripture-centered approach to the incarnation, which is definitely different in tone than so many of the hymns that that we have. And I think one of the things that Pastor Starkey does most beautifully in his hymnody is weave the language of scripture seamlessly together through all of his pro or all of his poetry. Um, and so we see, I wrote out the hymn in my notes so I could, um, you know, figure out where things were, you know, coming from. And I decided to write, you know, make boxes over all the places where he's referencing first John. And all of a sudden my whole page was just covered in boxes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, this, the first chapter of John is all throughout the entire hymn, but then also he's weaving the scripture passages from, Um, all through the epistles and the Old Testament and the psalmody, all throughout that as well, and showing how all of Scripture points to Christ and is fulfilled in Him. Hmm. Now, I noticed you were a little excited when you found (laughs) out that this was the hymn that that you get to uh, discuss with us. What what do you appreciate about this hymn? What do you love about this hymn? Why why were you so excited about this one? Um, I love that it's so faithfully puts the words of Holy Scripture in our mouth in a way that um, 
is beautiful as well, that his poetry choices um, are, are different and unique and really make uh, the truth of what's going on uh, with the incarnation of Christ pop um, as an image and but still remain faithful to the doctrine. And in this, anytime you can marry together um, the doctrine and reality and brighten our imagination with the images of what's actually happened, um, I think it is just this amazing um, experience for us to have to sing these words and to have them come alive and be true for us. And um, he does that so well with this Christmas hymn. Uh, we see, right, that we're singing of Christ and the, that his birth is showing us the kindness of the Lord. And I love this word kindness. It kind of shows up maybe a lot in our society these days, right, where we're all supposed to be kind. And maybe, maybe what we mean by that is sometimes a little simplistic by just being nice. But but in this hymn, we see that the kindness of the Lord is, is much deeper than that. And the kindness of the Lord is a loving kindness, a sacrificial kindness. And, and he goes on then to explain what this actually entailed. That this kindness was the Lord giving his son into our human flesh and bone. Um, I love that in the in the third line, right? The eternal word made flesh and bone. And we often think of flesh and blood when we talk of, of Christ's incarnation. But here he chooses flesh and bone instead, which gives us that little peek into Genesis. So here he is already bringing in other scripture, scripture, excuse me, scripture references to make us see the entire picture of our salvation that this began already when the God the Father um, and the Holy Trinity created um, the world and Adam and Eve, and he gave Adam Eve flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And now in this fallen world that fell through the acts of Adam and Eve, he is giving us his flesh and bone in the incarnation of Christ so that we can be restored. Back to that perfection that once was in the Garden of Eden. And that's just the first two lines of him. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just so much. Um, he goes on then um, to talk about our frail humanity that God's finger chose to chase, trace. And that is yet another reference to um, Psalm 8, that God is creating all of the world just with his finger. And now he is, he is giving us his son, to restore all of that. Um, he talks about the fullness of his deity, right? That in Christ, the fullness of God's um, divine nature, this is a reference from Colossians 1, that um, that fullness of God is in Christ, this icon, this picture of God, and that, that this is an icon of his grace. And that grace, this is bringing us right back again to the first chapter of John, when John talks about grace upon grace and that this gift that the word made flesh is to us. We could do like a, a full like month long Bible study just on like one stanza of this I, hymn. <laughs> I know. I'm just like swimming in it. I have 
all my, you know, like scripture references written all over and I'm afraid I'm going to lose them all because they're just so many. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so I, I would love to see inside Pastor Starkey's process when he's writing these hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, he just must have such a command of Holy Scripture to be able to weave these things so seamlessly together. Yeah, um, absolutely. Oh, and, and his command of the language is so beautiful, too. When we look at stanza two, it's one of my favorite rhymes. I, I don't know. You probably shouldn't have favorite rhymes, but I guess if you're a hymn nerd, it's okay. Um, <laughs> I agree. Okay, good. <laughs> I love this rhyme um, in the first uh, two lines of stanza two. Um, when at, What Adam lost, none could reclaim, and paradise was barred until the second Adam came to mend what sin had marred. I mean, who else is using barred and marred in a hymn? I just, I don't know. I love it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, it's it's beautiful poetry, and it also draws this great picture. How can you not sing this and imagine that Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden and the garden being shut off to them, barred, and then the second Adam coming to mend that, to fix that, to open those gates of paradise back to us. And then he goes on, and, and that was that all happened when the time was full and ripe. So there's right Galatians 4, chapters 4 and 5, talks about this fullness of time, that um, the firstborn of all creation, so he's bringing us that creation component again, um, that, that God would send his son to reconcile us through the cross. And here it is. Um, that he came to us as life and light. In that little reference of light, it seems kind of, at first when I read it, I thought, well, that's interesting that he threw that light in there because that doesn't seem like a theme going through any of the rest of the hymn. But it is right there in John that this light of the world is shining. And so it's there. That's another first or John chapter one reference. And we see it again then in stanza two when he talks about God's glory shining. And it's, that light that is Christ is here to redeem our world and to win our redemption. And then we go on to stanza three. Um, he came to that which was his own, but he was not received. And this again, big bold box around it, because this is straight from John, <laughs> right? Um, verses 10 and 11. Uh, yet still through him, God's glory shone, because he is that light. He's the light. And some his name believed. Um, And then this next section sets up what we often talk about when we talk about Christmas incarnation theology, about the great exchange, right? And there are lots of hymns that deal with the great exchange. Um, I love the way he's done it here, though. He spent all of this time um, talking about how God is born in flesh and bone. And he's taking that on. And then he talks about how we are part of God's ancestry now, not through our human ancestry, but because we're born of God in love. So God takes on our human ancestry so that we can take on his his ancestry as a son of Christ, that we become adopted into Christ's family as his heirs because he has become one of our family through a whole line of, of human ancestry. Um, so that begins the great exchange language, um, at the end of stanza three. And again, right, he's, um, he's referencing Galatians again, and also Titus chapter three, verse four, uh, when the goodness and loving kindness of our savior appeared, um, 
that's all part of this air, this language of becoming the heirs of Christ. And then in stanza four, we change direction. The first three stanzas, right, we're singing of Christ. We're singing to our neighbors and to ourselves the comforting language of, or the comforting message of the gospel. And then in the fourth stanza, we switch perspectives, and now we are singing to Christ. We were singing of him, and now we're singing to him. You can see this in the first three words, Lord Jesus Christ, comma. So now we're talking to him, and we're praising him and thanking him for these great deeds. Um, you deigned to dwell. I love the word deigned. It's not one we use, you know, in common. You know, I'm not going to sit around and chat and probably talk about deigning something. But, but it has this, um, this sense to it that whatever he, what, when you deign something, it's beneath your dignity. And that he would humble himself and deign to dwell with us here on earth um, is just this marvel for us to understand. And, and we can't stop talking about it enough because it's, it's, it is beyond what we can understand. And so we do keep talking about this mystery that he would humble himself to do this. Um, so Lord Jesus Christ, you deigned to dwell and that language of dwelling again it shows up in John and it brings us that wonderful um, language of tabernacle, of being with us. Um, and that goes on among us here on earth as God with us, comma, Emmanuel, right? Because that's what Emmanuel means, God with us, God dwelling with us. Um, and so we have that reference from Isaiah and Matthew that that brings that language of God with us um, as the most important thing about Christmas, that he's with us on earth in our human flesh and blood um, on his way to the cross to die for us. Uh, so is God with us, Emmanuel, to bring this holy birth? And then um, we have more grace coming here, right? Uh, from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this language of, of his richness that he gave up and took on our poverty so that we could become rich. The great exchange, that grace that he gives us by taking on our poverty and our nature so that we can take on his wealth and his nature and be with him and have his wealth and his name that we can't, there's nothing more important than that we have than the name of Christ that was given to us in our baptism. And we sing that right here, that we may share your wealth and name when all eternity from now on that eternity has begun and it's ours now forever. There's so much packed into this hymn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is awesome. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that that it is one of my favorites is that, is that there there is just so much in it, and every time you sing it, you, you get a little bit more of of all of the scripture that uh, that we read about and we sing about, and all of these prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ. It is just just amazing. Uh, really quickly, anything interesting about uh, the tune or the composer, who is a very well-known composer? Yeah, the tune is actually an English folk tune that um, Rafe Fun Williams, um, he sort of went around and collected folk tunes, which is a fun fun idea. I like that. Yeah. That's like a fun <laughs> thing to do. Um, <laughs> so this is a, an English folk tune he collected. It was something like, oh, the plowboy, the plowboy's dream, like something like, uh, I don't know, what is it? Oh, 
Oh, it's so silly. Something like, I am a plowboy, big and strong. Just ridiculous, right? But uh, <laughs> gladly, the association with that text is pretty weak. So then Rafe von Williams is able to take that tune and set it with um, with text for hymns. And it has almost always been set with um, a little town of Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And you can find beautiful recordings of, of beautiful English choirs singing a little town of Bethlehem to this tune. Um, and if you love to sing in four part, Ray Fon Williams setting is so fun to sing. Mm-hmm. It's great. We love, I love to drop out the organ um, on Christmas day and just let the congregation take it over. And it's just sublime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that um, Pastor Starkey chose this tune for this because it gives such a strong text now to a tune which we otherwise wouldn't have been using. And um, really, I think the marriage of tune and text is very nicely paired here. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people can sing this one during the Christmas season, uh, pull out hymnals, have your church organist play it after a service, maybe if you've never yeah, heard it before. Absolutely. It's a wonderful Wonderful hymn. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us uh, to talk about this wonderful hymn. It's It's been really fun to l- really dig into this text. I agree. Thank you so much. You're listening to the 12 Days of Christmas. I'm Sarah Golseth. I'm Andy Bates. 